Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, happy Friday and welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome and welcome to this hour of Flames Talk on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge here at the Dome. we got a busy hour coming up for you on Flames Talk. Hopefully your Friday's going along well or uh, whenever day, whatever day you're uh, listening to us on, uh, if you're listening on podcasts. Let's uh, kick off this hour. we got a lot to talk about with our next guest. It's time for Eric Francis Fridays. This is Eric Francis from Sportsnet joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now to kick off the program. We've got... Uh, um, we've got coaching questions and GM questions and all that type of stuff, but we got to, we got other stuff earlier this week. As I was watching on the live web stream, uh, the first person I saw sit down on the live web stream was uh, Eric Francis of Sportsnet on his phone. Didn't respond to me when I sent him a picture, but we can talk about that later. Hi, franchise. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I was a little hurt. I, I sent you a great picture of me taking a picture of you, and I never heard back. I heard back from Wes and Parker, but I, I didn't hear back from you, so I just thought I'd start things off with how much that hurt. I was getting lit up by Vickers, you, and about 15 <laughs> other people. Like, who knew how many people? A lot of people watch that live stream. Let me tell you, that's the future, I, you know. That's the future, that stuff. It, uh, I... If they can figure out, if they can figure out this internet stuff, and if it becomes a trend, then it just might be. Um, yeah. How are how are you feeling about everything? It's been uh, it's been a few days since the announcement Tuesday at three thirty p.m. Calgary time. Now that you've had a little time to digest and and start to sink your teeth into what this whole agreement looks like, where, where are you on another event center agreement in the city? You know, I, I think something that's kind of not really talked about. Um, I touched on it in my column afterwards, but like, I feel like one of the big stories from this whole thing, cause you know, everyone's kind of caught up in the politics of it all. And I know you've had Daniel Smith on, I'm going to have her on my show again on Monday. Cause I have some really hard hitting questions for her. Uh, not really, but, uh, funny that the premier and I go way back, you know, she used to be on my radio show when I did Jack FM. Matt and I used to have her on our morning show once a week, and we dubbed her the smartest person we know. That was it. That was the only reason for her to come on, and we'd ask her dumb questions, and she'd set us straight on everything. And so she, that'll be no different on Monday. But the big, the big story to me, the takeaway is not the politics of it all, and that'll be the enduring story for the next month anyway, but the holy cow, did the Flames ever dodge a bullet by nixing the last deal? You know, like... Talking to people in the organization since, you know, nobody in that organization was thrilled about the building that they were going to get at the last deal, you know. And it was only at Christmas in 2021 when the Flames ownership group said, enough of this dithering. The city came back and wanted a few more, uh, 10, you know, 20 million, whatever it was. They, were, they wanted solar panels. They wanted sidewalks to be paid, paid for by the team, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, at the end of the day, 600, grand, 600 million wasn't going to get you a world-class arena like the one you're going to get now. And I, I really don't think that that's been talked about enough. I know we haven't seen renderings, but it was the premier who told me after the press conference, she said the parcel of land that they were going to build on was seven acres. This one's 10 acres. Right. And that allows you to build a much bigger building. Obviously, there's other things that are going to go around it and a gathering place, which is crucial, the community arena and all that. But at the end of the day, Without a practice rink, without spending, you know, an extra a couple hundred million that, you know, this rink was going to be kind of a no frills kind of ba bargain basement. I know that sounds terrible to say for 600 million, you can only get a basic stadium, but don't look any further than the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa for an example of just your basic, you know, Dollarama version of an NHL stadium. And it's, you know, it doesn't have any bells and whistles, doesn't have any practice rink it doesn't have any of the accoutrements as i always used to say and 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 now this one will so as usual by waiting murray edwards got the best deal possible murray edwards is going to go down in history as one of the greatest negotiators greatest may not be the word shrewdest 
savviest, whatever you want. Like, this guy doesn't lose many negotiations. Anyone who's ever negotiated with him tells you <laughs> he took me out to the shed. And, uh, and I'm not saying there's a winner and a loser here. All I'm saying is he made the right move to wait. And maybe he didn't know he was going to get a bigger, better rink, but he sure is going to. Yeah, and I'm I'm um, I'm interested to see because you're right. There's definitely a lot of politics and and a lot of talk about the the political implications of next month's election, provincial election, and and what it means if uh, the UCP does not remain in power. There's a lot of that type of talk. There's a lot of mm-hmm. conversation about you know other hurdles that need to be cleared. And look, I I I do think that we're sitting in a situation where it's I'm I'm very happy that we have an agreement, and I know that it is one that is contentious, and and there are some who think there's too much public money going to it and all that type of stuff. And I understand all the different arguments. I'm just personally, I'm really excited that we have another deal on the table and something to look forward to. And I guess what I'm hoping is that with the way things broke down with Calgary Next and the way with things broke down uh, in December 2021, I, I just I hope this one doesn't break down because <laughs> I, I and and the well, the reason I say that is I'm trying to manifest the whole thing because I don't want to be talking about another failed arena deal that would be number three in this city and the building that I'm sitting in right now I love this room you know how much I love this room I'm sitting right here in the Doug Lacey's basement systems hot stove lounge because the Wranglers play later on on Friday and I'm uh, so so got a big Wranglers playoff game to be here for but this building has been antiquated and in need of replacement for what 15 years uh if not longer so like we th- there's not <laughs> at, at some point this place isn't going to be able to be to be uh sustainable anymore and so it's it's time to get shovels in the ground for this whole thing so yes there are still some hurdles to clear i just i am am really trying to be positive that those hurdles do indeed get cleared and i get it people are gun shy just you know the, one of the first things everyone joked about was uh, is this really going to, you know, this is a great deal until it falls apart again. And then when we found out the political aspects of this, the fact that it very much hangs in the balance of the election, then then you absolutely have every right to brace yourself. Um, but, you know, progress was made. Uh, I thought Sonia Sharp, she was really impressive to me uh, just when she spoke the other day. And I thought that, you know, one of the questions was, uh, did you, did they use a lot of the things from the previous incarnation of the building, like any of the renderings, the designs, any of that. And she said basically no, but what we did do is we used the knowledge and the experience from past failures and understood what we couldn't do moving forward and, and what we needed to do moving forward. Like the lessons have been learned. So even if this does fall apart again, uh, I'm sure there will be lessons to be learned. And, you know, I'm optimistic that at some point, you know, what I what I do like is a lot, you know, more and more people, the fact that City Hall approved this deal unanimously, and yeah, it's a lot easier for them to do so because they got $300 million from the province, but hey, they still had to cough up a whole lot of money of taxpayers, you know, money, you know, that a lot of it had already been earmarked for this. And, uh, you know, the fact that City Council is 100% behind this, that also tells me that there's a will to get this done, even if this one falls apart. Right. Um, I, I still think we're going to get there. Uh, and I guess if, if all it go, goes according to plan, like we could be talking about, I don't know, three and a half years, four years, somewhere in that range for us to be sitting in a brand new arena and, and for you as a fan to be buying tickets and, and looking at where your seats are going to be and all that type of stuff. If if all does go according to plan, Franchise, like we're not that far off. It's not like you, you have to start using binoculars to find a time when you could see this thing being ready and open in this district being ready and open. So so it, it's it's actually pretty exciting when you start to think about it. Yeah, and, and you know, they're so uh, reluctant to put any sort of timelines on this. And that was the first question I asked at the press conference. You know, what, you know, are, are we looking at three years, four years? That's, that's generally the window that it takes to build a, a stadium in Canada. And uh, it was the premier who said uh, with George Russick the other morning that she, she kind of said three years. But that's three years from you know, August, if, uh, if the cabinet signs off on this whole thing, and they, of course, they have to win the election first and all that. So, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that it's three to four years. It's funny because Russick and I have had a bet for a while uh, over who would get a new building first. I say Arizona will, and he says Calgary will. And he was all grinning the other day after this announcement, thinking, oh, boy, you've lost your bet, Eric. And I said, I'll double, bet. I'll double the bet. I'll double the bet, and I'm still taking Arizona. 
And I say that because in America, they just have a way of getting things done a whole lot faster than we do here in Canada. Uh, red tape seems to always be a problem here compared to down there. Uh, and down there also, they could do construction all year long, whereas there are going to be huge chunks of time here where they can't uh, do the, all the construction work that they need to do. So anyway, it'll be interesting. I hope I'm wrong. Man, do I hope I'm wrong. I'd be happy to buy a mistake dinner and all sorts of rum uh, if I'm wrong, but I, I still think Arizona's going to beat us to it. I don't even think Arizona's going to have a team. I, like, I, I still don't think. I, I, don't, I, I honestly don't know how Arizona uh, remains in this league. You're telling me that all of a sudden Tempe is going to fix things, but that's, that's a story for another day. By the way, um, yep, jo- John, Bean, John Bean told us that I uh, was kind of looking at uh, 32 to 36 months uh, once shovels are in the ground. So that, uh, that's um, – that's kind of the that, that's another timeline that's been thrown out there. So thirty-two to thirty-six months from shovels being in the ground, which whenever that might be. Um, so again, you're kind of still you're, you're looking in that same time frame once they can start to actually break ground on this thing. Yeah, twenty twenty-seven is a whether it's the twenty twenty-seven or twenty-six twenty-seven season. I doubt I doubt it, but it'd probably be the twenty-seven twenty-eight season when I you know if all went according to Hoyle, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Got to win this election first. And you know what? I, I don't have a political bone in my body. Couldn't care less about politics. Doesn't doesn't move the needle for me at all. But, you know, this this to me is a huge election issue, obviously. Um, and it's very simple for me. Like, I, I was on the fence. Um, not now. Not now. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm straight up voting for Daniel Smith because she's going to help get us up over the finish line that this city council couldn't get done for, for over a decade. And, uh, and you know, shame on past city councillors for not being able to get this done, but kudos to the province for making the difference. And I know, I know there are people who think that, you know, I don't even want to repeat their argument. I think it's so nonsensical. In this world, I'm a businessman myself, and I, I, I applaud businessmen. I think they're the leaders of our community. They build things. They make things happen. They create jobs. They feed all of our families. You want to make money in this world, you want to get the economy going, you have to spend money. And it's taxpayers' money, and that's, that's the onus is on the government to do that. And, and uh, I don't buy the argument, oh, you should be spending money on homelessness and all this other stuff. They do that, but they also have to keep an eye on building. And, and, and I think actually it'll help homelessness. If you got a situation where downtown, that downtown area, uh, I, I don't know if it's going to help homelessness. I don't want to get down that, but I will just say downtown, that area, we're going to clean up that area and make it a vibrant area. Right now it's dormant, and it's, to be quite frankly, it's one of the only areas in the city where I don't know if I'd want to be walking around by myself after a game three hours later. So, you know, we get, we get it populated, we get it vibrant, and we er- eradicate that problem. So and 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 look, I also I, I am loath to talk politics, uh, and and especially on this show, I try to keep it uh, out of yeah. politi- keep politics out of it as much as I can. But do we? The, the one thing that I have not been able to get a handle on, and I don't think we have an answer on it yet, is if the UCP does not remain the ruling party uh, after May 28th, does that mean that this is scuttled? And I, I haven't been able to get a, a, a real feel on that as to whether or not if, if Rachel Notley's our premier and the NDP are the ruling party when this is all said and done, if that means the $330 million contribution, uh, $300 million to the event center and $30 million to the community arena, uh, if, if that means that it's scuttled. I, I haven't been able to... I don't know if I'm ready to say that at this point. There's plenty of people who believe that even if the NDP do win the election, that they would still follow through with this commitment. So I guess, yes, it's clearly going to be an election issue. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, I don't know if it is going to be something that the the, the fate of this project truly hinges on the election results when it's all said and done. Yeah, fair. It's a fair question. I mean, I I don't think... It means that if we're here on election night and the UCP loses, that the deal is 100% dead. The deal, as as it's structured right now, I don't think would be signed at all. But I think the will and the framework could be there still with with the NDP to potentially get something else done. But I'm sure the parameters would change, and it would be further delays, probably years. Um, so, uh, but See, I don't, but know I don't even either. know about that. I, and I, I, don't know reason- that. I don't know. 
the only reason I the only reason I jump in there is just and look again politics expert Pat nope not at all but um, I've just I've read enough about how and I'm not trying to campaign one or the other I, I don't like not at all um, I just am more interested to, to, to see what happens either way but it, it just there's enough out there that suggests that there's a, a lot of um, priority placed on revitalizing downtown Calgary in the NDP's platform as well. So even if they do win, and I honestly, it's going to be too close to call. I have no idea what is what it's going to end up looking like. But if they do end up being, or if it does end up being the NDP as the ruling party, I don't think it's completely out of the question that mm-hmm. the deal as it's signed doesn't go through. And that's that's the really interesting thing to me because I'm not a politics guy, but I am interested to see how the politics after may 28th end up affecting this whole thing yeah fair but i want to go back to some you said you said you don't want to kind of campaign for one side or the other you know i just said earlier that this this to me puts it over the top it's no brainer now i know where i'm voting you telling me that a you're either kind of hesitant to 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 push that side of the argument or get involved in that at all do you know what i mean like this to me like this doesn't make you as a sports guy say oh we definitely have to vote for ucp at this election no um no i mean not until not until i i actually hear for sure where the the notley side comes down on it um they've put out a couple of you know kind of releases so far that say well yes it's exciting but but I'm I'm waiting to see whether or not there is a an actual platform taken as to whether or sure. not they would see this through before before I, I'm even in my own head fully um, fully decided on which way I would go come May 28th. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I think it. Hey, a lot of people. Uh, you got you, you really owe it to your city to sit down and your province to sit down and and look at the issues as you get real close to the election and 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 put an educated. Uh, ballot in the box there um, but you know to me this is such an overwhelming need look, look I don't whine and complain when they build a library for 350 million or whatever that thing costs uh, you know like we need libraries well or I don't know if we do in today's world with the internet I, I don't know but, but I don't you know what I mean it's easy to sit there and throw rocks and say that is stupid terrible money being spent on a 350 million dollar library uh, blah 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 we need libraries. We need so many things to make a city vibrant. We obviously need a new arena. I, people who argue against that, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for that. I, I'm not having that discussion with anybody. Like it's, you, you can't, you, you're never going to change my opinion. Oh, and don't we get me it. wrong, man. Like I, I want I know you know this that. more yeah. than, and I, I want this myself more than anything is as a born and raised Calgarian. Like I, yeah, it's we need time. That. We, we and 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 it's not and I get like there's I've seen about 400 different things quote tweets or pictures posted or graphs or whatever telling me that um, public money for a sporting facility doesn't end up being um, doesn't doesn't end up helping the economy of a city yeah, yeah. and w- no. I just I don't buy that completely because I think it has no. all kinds of of long term rub off on the perception of a city. And I, I, I want world-class things in my city. So I'm personally, I'm happy that the deal is done. I'm not, I'm not tying it to the May 28th election quite the same way as as others are. And and um, I just, I'm just really happy that we took another positive step. I'm fine yeah. with public money going to uh, this this complex and this facility. And I understand that others are, are far more against it. But I, I think, personally, having a district, having this type of thing attached to the BMO Center expansion and the East Village and how it's grown and just all of what we've seen in the last 20 years in this side of the city and what they're trying to do to Vic Park and everything, I think it's good for our city to have another world-class district for people to go to. And I think it brings more tourism in. It brings more more people out of the suburbs into downtown, all that type of stuff. So I'm fully for it. I really am. Um, but but I'm not I, – I, I guess I'm not ready quite yet to tie it to my vote for the upcoming election. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I think it's you – know, again, we're splitting hairs here, but I think it's important to note because I know the UCP is very sensitive to this too, and, and rightly so. Not a single dime that the province is giving – is, is is giving is not even the word that is going to be providing to make this happen is going towards the building 
Not not a single dime. No. It's all going towards infrastructure. And I some people go, well, whatever, tomato, tomato, who cares? It's all going to the same. No, no, it's not. $25 million of it is going to build a community arena that, you know, anyone who's in the hockey community, like I am with my, my boy and, 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 you know, in this city, uh, we need more rinks. And, 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 and that's a great one. And it's going to be, a, you know, add to the – it'll be a practice facility for the Flames, but also a community rink for our kids to play in and men's league and all that stuff. But the other $300 million is all going towards infrastructure to support this entire endeavor. None of it is going towards a building that is going to help, pot, you know, profit these owners. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that's an important point to, to point out. Eric Francis with us. It's Francis Fridays here on Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Did you uh, did you see the uh, OEG, the Oilers Entertainment Group, and uh, the release that they put out today? No, no, I did not. They basically I... said. They basically said. I'll paraphrase it. They said. Super happy for Calgary. Glad they can have this. This is awesome. They needed it. We saw what happened here in Edmonton and what Rogers Place did for our downtown. We hope that we can work with the province so that we can get similar funding. Was basically was basically what OEG said today. I thought it was quite it was quite interesting to see them uh, put that out on their Twitter account earlier on Friday. And and it was it's all totally predictable. And Danielle, being a very smart woman, uh, was way ahead of that. Right? I mean, they asked her about that, and I. I knew because I've covered this story for the bulk of what 15 years or however long this, you know, since Ken started floating this out there, you know, there's never been a, a dime of provincial money going towards any of these things. All the provincial governments have always said we will not spend a nickel on on these these buildings or or surrounding infrastructure, and she's she's broken rank with that. And obviously the others are like wait a second, and I saw all sorts of people in Edmonton losing their mind because they never got the fair treatment and all this. But Danielle was asked about that at the press conference, and she very much pointed out, hey, phase two, phase two of what's happening downtown with that arena district still could use a little help around the edges, and we'd be happy to have conversations with them about how we may be able to help. She she danced around it, not even danced around She took it head on and said, uh, I know this is coming, and fair enough. And uh, she also pointed out just how balanced – you know, how much money is spent in each of the provincial, you know, the two big cities in the province. And she said this kind of helps balance it out over the last little while. Either way, Edmonton's going to get some money too, and don't I don't blame them for holding their hat out to get involved. Um, as you can imagine, um, any whiff of political talk on our text line uh, has people um, not very happy at, at you or me or whoever. Uh, the, there's lots, lots of response about how dare us. Um, it's not our fault that it's been connected to a provincial election. We didn't decide that. It's Francis Fridays on Flames Talk. Where are we on Daryl Sutter? We talked about this a week ago. What's going on? How, what's, our, what's our feel as to when or if this gets decided? Well... The silence is deafening, and uh, I wrote a column about this earlier in the week because, you know, we all expected, even though Don Maloney said last, you know, what, I guess it's a week, almost two weeks ago, that everybody's job would be reevaluated, evaluated, reviewed, whatever you want to call it, including the coaches. And we all thought, yeah, yeah, you're meeting with the coach tomorrow or the next day, and we'll hear from the coach, as we always do at the end of the year, a day or two later. Well, the silence has spoken a lot. I seriously think this organization is seriously reviewing the future of Daryl Sutter. I really believe that. What I can't quite get a figure on, uh, I can't quite get a handle on whether or not they're considering uh, making a change. If they did that, would they do that very soon? Or would they give the new GM the option when he comes in? Which kind of puts you, which kind of, and I, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I, I don't really know how I feel. I, I do think it would be a shame for a GM to come in here and go, oh, well, I actually thought Daryl would be a huge part of what I want to do here. Um, but you, you fired him three weeks before you hired me. That's unfortunate. And it cost you $8 million. Jeez. You know, but it also, on the other side of the coin, boy, is it ever a loaded question for a guy to sit in front of a, an owner and Don Maloney with his hat in his hand, hoping to get a job, and he's saying, "No, no, I, I, I think, I think the coach is is going to be great." You know, like I, I, I think it it taints the interview process. And I've heard the say the sentence from a lot of people who say, "Anybody who's worth, you know, anybody who's worth hiring, uh, 
would wouldn't come here without having complete control over what who the coach is. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I think it would be nice if the general manager coming in here had his choice, mm-hmm. but I also think that it, it every guy who comes in here is just going to pay lip service to the fact, oh, yeah, I know, you definitely have to keep the coach. You know, you have to keep the coach knowing that this – Owner wants to keep the coach, and he's got a, money, a lot of money invested in him. Sorry, I've been rambling. You go and tell me what your thoughts are. Well, I my feel is that the way you have to do this, if you're going to make a decision on Daryl before you bring in a new general manager, is I'm kind of where you are. I think you have to give the new GM the option because I do think two things. Number one, if you don't do that, so if you decide that, you know what, we've got, undergone our review and for the time being Daryl Sutter will remain our head coach, then I think that you have to make it very clear in the interview process that you get to choose who your head coach is. And if you believe that it's Daryl Sutter, then it will remain Daryl Sutter. And if it's not going to be Daryl Sutter, then you have the autonomy to make that move. Now, I don't. what I don't have a feel on is how realistic that is. That's what I yeah. don't have a feel on. Because I'm very much with you. I fully believe that the future of Daryl Sutter is very much being... Uh, like I think they're taking a hard look at it, and they're they're really putting this under the microscope. Um, but what I don't have a feel on is if they decide in the next week, say that he's going to stay, whether or not three weeks from now, if a new general manager is hired, whether or not that GM would have the power to then make a change a few weeks later. That's what I can't really get a read on as to whether or not that's realistic. But what I do absolutely believe is that they are taking that hard look and determining whether or not they think that. Their, the, the words you used in, in your column about the exit meetings recently was the word untenable. Um, and if, it, if, if they feel like it's going to remain untenable, then they, they might be making the change even before a new GM gets, gets in here. And interesting you use the word remain untenable. Like, I think that's so important in all this. There are certainly, there's a faction of players who believe that coming back here next year under this head coach is untenable. Yeah. Like it's something that they could not, they cannot fathom doing. And, and, and that's something that the organization has to take a serious look at. Listen, every exit meetings, you know, whenever there's exit meetings and your team doesn't win the cup, which happens to 31 teams every year, there's going to be players who are unhappy. There's going to be players who moan and bitch about the coach. Or something, and 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 maybe not 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 as often as you think, because you got to be careful who you throw under a bus, because it could be you next, right? But there were a lot of players who said that this was untenable, and I guess more to the point, instead of saying a lot of players, I'll say there were a lot of important players right. who think it's untenable, and I think everybody's pretty clear on at least two of them. But uh, there are some that would surprise people too. That uh, well, I that, think that I think when that. you heard when I think when you heard Elias Lindholm uh, and what he had to say, I think that it's it's safe to say he might be one of them. Um, and yeah, there's uh, as as I've as as we kind of been talking about, there have been numerous veteran players, or there were numerous veteran players over the course of the season that did not see eye to eye with this guy. So yeah, I'm I'm really I'm curious as to what they decide in that regard, and then how they decide to go forward from there, and and on. Honestly, I don't have a feel which way they're going to go. I just am very much with you. Everything that I understand is that they are very much taking a long look at this. Yeah, and that's that's interesting because that's not the way we felt a week or two ago. No. I think everyone no. just assumed. But I think that the general manager falling on his sword because of the heaviness of the organization, the 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 environment that has been created, and that people are, are having to live in, um, that is something when the general manager who loves this city, loved this job, loved everything about it, um, decides that he just can, it's untenable for him. Boy, that tells you something. And a lot of people have wondered out loud, is that, is that why Johnny Gaudreau left? Is that why Matthew Kachuk left? Well, no, no, I, I, I don't think, you know, it's pretty well documented. I've said for years, those guys were going to leave and I'm, I've been pretty strong to tell you that of those seven UFAs next year, I'm telling you at least four or five of them are gone. And I think we know at least who a few of them are. Um, Why is that? Well, a lot of it has to do with 
being in Canada. A lot of it has to do with our weather. A lot of it has to do with the building. A lot of it has to do with our tax structure compared to other places that have much better tax uh, tax advantages. There are a lot of things going against Canadian teams, especially uh, smaller market Canadian teams. But all things being equal, if at the end of the day you're also not having any fun whatsoever in that mm-hmm. room because the environment is just too heavy, there's there's your knockout punch. So I think it's pretty obvious what the organization uh, should do, and uh, I think they're seriously considering that, but I'm not sure if they're going to do the right thing. We'll We'll wait and see. Uh, goodbye, sir. Uh, it is lovely to hear your voice as always. Great talking to you, my friend, man. That's way more political talk than I ever want to get into ever again. So let's get this election over with and, uh, start building this building. In fairness, it was your fault. So I'm just, I just want to make sure that it is well known that you brought the politics into it and I didn't. So I just want to make sure that (laughs) I, nobody passes a buck better than I do. I should be, I should be a politician. (laughs) <laughs> well you know what you got my vote oh there you go there you go you there, got my vote we finally figured hey, buddy. it out uh, bye weekend. franchise talk to you next week Cheers. thanks buddy bye Eric Francis Sportsnet joins us every Friday on Francis Fridays and he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975 dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast takeout or deliveries at 403-248-3344 hey it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it is time for our final Daily Flames roundtable of the season. Daily Flames Roundtable all year long has been brought to you by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. It's not too late. They've extended their 4% loyalty rates on all in-stock 2022 models. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's past time. But Ryan Pike is here with us from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Roundtable. Mr. Wills, uh, a pleasure. It is uh, sweet sorrow knowing this is the final one of the year. We uh, would have much rather uh, this been like getting ready for game six of a playoff series or something like that, but I digress. It is not. So as we look ahead to the offseason, we got lots of time to talk about this, and, and, and we can go as long as we need on this topic, friends, but we, knew that a, we know that a new general manager and the future of head coach Daryl Sutter, those are kind of the two main big, huge stories for the team this offseason. So give me one other big story surrounding the Calgary Flames that you'll be focused on that is top of mind for you as we move into the month of May. Well, for me, the other big story is probably tied to the first two things that you mentioned, the new general manager and maybe even more so who the head coach of the Flames is going to be next season. But for me, it's the pending UFAs. And I'm not talking about the five guys who are going to be unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. I'm talking about the seven guys and specifically six of the seven guys who are going to be UFAs at the end of next season, because you've got to figure out what you're going to do with three of your best forwards, arguably your three best forwards from this season, Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli and three of your top five defensemen in Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov. And, You've got to get a sense of whether or not those guys are willing to sign long-term extensions or at least extensions, depending on the player. And you can do that uh, starting July 1st, so maybe some business gets done sooner rather than later. But I don't think that you can go into next season not having a really good idea of what those six guys plan to do. And if you get the sense that, for example, Elias Lindholm isn't open to signing a long-term extension with the team. You, you might have to move him this summer, guys, because maybe you can let Michael Backlund go after uh, almost a thousand games with the team. Uh, you drafted him, you developed him, and he's given a lot to uh, Flames on the ice and off the ice. Maybe you can let him walk for nothing, but I don't think you can let a 28-year-old uh, who is one of the best two-way centermen in the league walk away for nothing. So. If you get the sense that Elias Lindholm 
isn't open to signing an extension, you might have to trade him before next season starts. Because if the Flames bounce back next season, which I believe they will, I think it makes it tough to trade your number one centerman in the season. So you have to take a long look at him. Uh, also, Tyler Toffoli, who probably doesn't have as many years left and wouldn't sign as long a term extension. But what you could get from a guy coming off a career year who's a perennial 20 goal scorer and who established new career highs in both goals and points this season could be uh, quite a haul. And on the back end, Noah Hannafin's just entering the prime of his career, in my opinion. So probably another guy who you can't let walk for nothing. I don't feel quite as strongly about Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov, but really the general manager decision, probably followed by the hedge coach decision, could have a huge impact on the decision uh, that the, the players uh, decide to go uh, or decide to make and the team uh, has to make with those guys. So for me, that's uh, right up there with the GM and the coach. Yeah, Derek, uh, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I sort of look at it from a different perspective in terms of just the the where do we go from here of it all? Because, you know, you can I, I'm willing to give the Brad for Living and the Hockey Ops group a bit of a pass on how weird last offseason was because, you know, they, they go in, you know, you, you go into that awkward situation with Johnny Gaudreau trying to figure out a way to keep him here long term. Uh, doesn't work out the way they intended. Same thing with, with Matthew Kachuk. You have to give up a first-round pick in order to, to get Sean Monaghan's contract off the books. I mean, from an asset management perspective, it wasn't ideal. But, I mean, it was not ideal in ways you probably couldn't anticipate. I'm sure they didn't sit down and go, man, you know what we are really hoping for? Sean Monaghan's body to be breaking down because of the way he played his game. So I'm sure the, the Flames, they they... I'm, the thing I'm really curious about is what lessons are they going to take from how rough that summer was and how are they going to apply them, regardless of who's here running hockey off, but you know, organizationally, how are they going to put those lessons forward and make the summer of 2024 a little bit less bad, a little bit less white knuckle? Because, you know... I, I'm on the same page with you from an asset management perspective. All these guys, you know, it's a mixture of guys they got from free agency and a mixture of guys they got through some pretty high-profile trades. But these are guys that they went out and they got, and you know, they've managed to help foster them as assets. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Noah Hannafin's stock as a trade ship is significantly higher than it would have been uh, when the Flames got him from Carolina. Same thing with Elias Lindholm. You know, Elias Lindholm's a year removed from being a runner-up for the Selkie Trophy. Uh, you know, and I think I, much like Derek said, there's a lot of uh, good hockey ahead of these guys. Some of these guys are still, you know, barely scratching the surface of how good they could be. So I think from a macro standpoint, it's the where do we go from here? What's the plan now, and how that plan is is built out, communicated, and executed. Because, you know, uh, this is a very, you know, this is a smart hockey market, I'm sure, you know, notwithstanding some of the texts we get sometimes. But for the most part, I think these are a lot of really well-informed hockey fans in this market who understand the business of hockey. You know, half the time I get the really complex questions about the salary cap and the CBA on Twitter. And I think that speaks to how much these fans have a handle on sort of some of the the wackier points of uh, the business of hockey. So I think think they would understand if the flames want to make particular moves as long as the moves are laid out to them logically yeah. and i you know we're not asking them to show their whole playbook because that doesn't make sense from a competitive standpoint but figure out a way to sort of let the market know here's what we're doing here's why you want to do it this way and here's where we're aiming to go because i think if they have a clear plan I think they, they have some pieces in place organizationally and they have the ability to get pieces in place that aren't already in place to execute. Yeah, and I'll, I, I, I guess I would kind of echo, and, and Derek, when you talk about the, the pending UFAs after this coming season, yeah, I think that that is the biggest story for me. And I guess, so I guess it would be a number one story and then the branch to that number one story. So what is the future of Elias Lindholm? And then, because I think he is the number one player personnel priority. So outside of Daryl and outside of who the GM is going to be, Elias Lindholm's future this summer is the biggest story for me if, if I'm a Flames fan. And certainly for me observing this Flames team, it, it absolutely is. So 
all the things that you mentioned there, Derek, I'm with you. I think you almost have to trade him this offseason, this summer, if you're not getting the vibe that he's going to re-sign with you long-term. So if you can get him to sign with you long-term, that's the ideal. But if it's not going to happen, then I think you got to move on and get a haul for a guy who's got a year left, under $5 million, and you know exactly what type of player he is now in the NHL. And then what comes after that? Because I don't know... I don't know how many hockey trades you can make here, guys. And when I say hockey trade, it's the term you use a lot, Derek, in terms of like a, a deal that helps both teams right now. You know, a, a mm-hmm. kind of a commensurate player for commensurate player as opposed to a futures deal. But if Lindholm goes and then all of a sudden you're still getting the same you're getting the same vibes you know earlier this hour uh, Eric Francis said that you know he thinks that more than just the two guys Backlund and Lindholm of the pending UFAs next year would be gone he he, he said that you know there'd be like three or four of them so if all of a sudden you're getting the vibe that Noah Hannafin doesn't want to re-sign because Lindholm's been traded. And, and you're looking at the same thing with Backlund. Well, I don't know how many hockey trades you might be able to make. And, and Derek, it's something that you've brought up a number of times. You know, the way things go, and because of those UFAs after this season, you might have to, a new direction or a slightly different direction for the organization in terms of how their belt built might be forced upon them. And so I guess that's the most interesting part for me it's kind of the big picture to the small picture the small one is Lindholm because I think that's the first domino that needs to fall and then what happens after Lindholm and how that might change the direction of this team from the last five or six years yeah the two guys for me who can't walk for nothing are Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin Mm -hmm. and Hannafin's an interesting one because assuming Oliver Shillington is back next season I think that puts the team in a position to trade uh, a left-side defenseman anyway to try to fill another hole in their lineup. So maybe uh, you get ahead of it and you move Hannafin out uh, before it becomes an issue for you. But, you know, those two guys, if they're not already in the prime of their career, and they probably both are, then they've got a lot of good years left because you look at Elias Lindholm and he's 28. You look at Noah Hannafin and he's 26. So the other pending UFAs that we're talking about, Michael Backlund's 34, so he'll be 35. Tyler Toffoli is 31, so he'll be 32. Uh, Chris Tanev is 33, so he's going to be 34. And Nikita Zadorov, a little bit younger, he's, uh, what, 28, so he'll be 29. So, you know, those guys are uh, a little closer to being done, most likely, than uh, at the start of their NHL careers. But when, when you're talking about two players in Lindholm and Hannafin, who are clearly in their primes, then mm-hmm. if you can't keep them, I think you've got to try to get something for them. Pat, I don't think there is any appetite to rebuild for the Flames, but they m- might be forced into a retool. Now, I will say this, just to play devil's advocate. So, around this time last year, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk both stepped up to the podium and told us that they were excited to be flames for life or to to sign long-term extensions with the team anyway so they went out saying that michael backland and elias lindholm were certainly hesitant when responding to questions about their future with the team but something changed with gaudreau and kachuk that led them to to playing for other teams Uh, gaudreau with the blue jackets and kachuk with the panthers maybe something could change for both backland and Lindholm or one or the other uh, that would convince them to, to sign with the Flames long term. So I don't think it's written in stone that those two guys want no, to me neither. what. Y- you have to, to see if you can keep them. And if you can't, then you got to make a difficult decision. Yeah, that's why I say, like, to Pike, the, the number one priority is re-signing Elias Lindholm. If you yeah. could if you could yeah. get him to a seven, eight-year extension, that's got to be the number one priority. And if you can't, well, then you got to start thinking about – I'm not I'm – not, going out of my way to trade a guy who wants to re-sign, Elias Lindholm is the number one center on this team. And of the top three centers on this team, he's the youngest one. He's the one I'm trying to extend long-term. The only reason we're talking about trade is because of the non-committal answer he gave two weeks ago in this building and because he's in the final year of a contract. And you can't, as Derek says, lose him for nothing. And and let's, let's not forget that you know, we're expecting a small salary cap bump to around $83.5 million this year, barring something unforeseen happening. But that also means for 24-25, as in the 7 UFA summer, there's going to be a lot of money 
thrown into the system. So the Flames cap situation as of now heading into 23-24 is a little tight. They probably need to move about four million and change or so out of the lineup. And that's, you know, that's in the aggregate. So that's jettisoning a, a fairly significant secondary body and not replacing them. So that's that's not that's not great. And that I think the the cap realities will be what drives the the player personnel changes more so than anything else this summer. But I mean, you know, we're heading into a, an off season where you know we're going to find out probably that week in Nashville uh, for the draft where the Tuesday's GM meetings and they will be told very definitively, boys, here's the number you have to get under. Go go do it. And then that whole week will be chaos. So yeah. you, you don't really need to have a complete accounting of everything you want to do in place until that week. That you know, but I'd like to. You probably internally want to know what you're doing by June because that way you can have those conversations with Elias Lindholm's camp, with Backlund's camp, with all these players. Get a, give them a sense to sit down with whoever the GM is and, and lay it out. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we want to go. Here's where we see you fitting into it. Do you want in or not? And if the guys who are on the fence are not really wanting to 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 do it, you have the ability to help them, uh, you know, avail themselves of their options a year early and potentially get something back for them. And if they want to be in, you have the ability to lock guys in who want to be around and then go out and build around them. And having you know having a sense of what you want to do, I'll say this: I think this might be as good a, a timing for a GM changeover in a macro sense because of the cap frenzy that's going to go on. Because I don't know if they're having these same kind of, you know, big nitty-gritty conversations about directions of franchises the way a few franchises, Calgary, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, maybe Vancouver, are this summer. Right. And the fact that they're able to have them and other teams might not be as willing, you never know. It could put them ahead of the ahead of the eight ball a bit. Can you imagine being in a market where the owner or owners didn't give the team the resources to spend to the cap every season. Can you imagine how hard it would be to be competitive in those markets? Like the flames are lucky that uh, with their ownership group, they're allowed to spend to the cap each and every season. And they mm. still have things that they have to figure out to, to get under the cap and, and make everything work. So it's going to be a fascinating off season. I think uh, the salary cap moving forward certainly will impact uh, the decisions the Flames make moving forward. But I also think that a couple of off-ice decisions with the general manager and the head coach uh, could have an impact on what this team yeah. looks like, not just next season, but uh, for years to come. So uh, until those two dominoes fall, and I suspect the GM domino will fall before July 1st, uh, and if that's the case, if the head coach domino hasn't fallen one way or the other before then, then we might have to wait until uh, both of those questions are answered before we get uh, answers to these questions about the, the pending UFAs we've talked about. And I'll just throw one more out. We'll just go a little bit longer on the Daily Flames roundtable on our last one of the year. But the last one that I'll throw out is this. And it's, again, kind of dovetail off of everything. And it just kind of hit me as we were talking about it. And I've talked about this before, but I I really think that especially right now because of where the organization's at at this crossroads, what has happened the last little bit with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk walking away with the general manager parting ways with the team, um, hearing what Lindholm and even Michael Backlund had to say two weeks ago. I think the whole idea of who wants to be here and how much priority you put on players who want to stay in Calgary long term, I think you need to start factoring that in to conversations too as to who you who you acquire. I think I think all of a sudden if you're a small market team in the NHL and a Canadian team in the NHL or like Calgary, a small market Canadian team, uh, I think you really need to start prioritizing and looking at individuals who want to be here as important as well, which is why when all of a sudden you start hearing Tyler Toffoli and Nikita Zadorov talking about wanting to be here and, and having a large desire to re-sign, like that to me has to be factored into the conversation about how you build your team because you don't want to be stuck with more Gaudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm situations down the road. That to me is also a developing story that I, I think needs to be a little bit more to the forefront now as we move forward too. I do as well, and maybe we'll never know the real reasons why Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk decided to leave. And I do wonder, if Johnny Gaudreau had signed, would Matthew Kachuk had been open to from what I understand, willing to sign as well? From what I understand, Matthew is bouncing regardless. Okay, well, I'm not surprised by that, but uh, there are some things that 
the, the Flames simply can't offer players that other teams can. Uh, sunshine and uh, no state taxes would be two of those things. But I also think that there are a lot of great things about playing in Calgary, and there will be another big one once the Flames get their new building, and yeah. uh, that does matter to players. So uh, playing in a Canadian market for a lot of guys is special and something that if they haven't done, they want to do. And I think Calgary is a, a really good Canadian market to play in because you're not – you're not facing the same type of scrutiny that you would if you were playing in Toronto or Montreal or even Vancouver or Edmonton. Uh, it's uh, a fairly friendly media market, and we've got a passionate fan base here. But uh, obviously, there's uh, pressure that comes with playing in any Canadian market, uh, including Calgary. And uh, players want to win as well, and that's going to be a big part of it. If players think that the Flames are in a position to contend for the playoffs or for a Stanley Cup, then uh, I think that uh, this becomes a way more appealing destination. And I even look back at what happened last summer. So the Flames make that big trade with the Panthers, sending Matthew Kachuk to Florida and uh, bringing Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, and uh, I should mention Cole Schmidt, the first-round pick, back to Calgary. And at that time, there were a lot of people who thought that it was going to be one and done for both Huberto and Weger. Maybe not even one and done. That the Flames might have to trade them at some point in time last season because there were a lot of people who believed that those two players did not want to sign long-term extensions to stay in Calgary. Well, I was pretty quickly put to bed by both Huberdeau and Uyghur. So uh, I think that sometimes that gets too much play. Uh, I'm not sure that Johnny Gaudreau, if the decision was his and his alone, would have left the Flames. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, it sounds like uh, he was a bit more... Uh, Wanting to, to jump ship, but man, it, it uh, makes for another interesting summer, fellas. Yeah, and I'll be quick because I, I know we got to wrap up. Uh, I, my my observation is, I think more so than any of the major sports, I think hockey's a chemistry experiment. You can get the the twenty most skilled guys, and if they don't click with each other, they don't click in the city they're in, it just won't work. So I think you know the Flames, I think have their their work cut out for a bit. But this is an organization that was able to find Troy Stetcher, find Nikita Zadorov, find Tyler Toffoli. They've been able to to find guys that really seem to value playing in in a Canadian market and playing in in this one in particular. And if you can go out and find another few guys who have that kind of enthusiasm for for this uh, for this town, I think uh, I think that just that kind of change could go a long way towards yeah. uh, supercharging stuff. Will quickly, Pat? Yeah. Just on the on the eve uh, or on the night of the Wranglers' second playoff game, I think it's important that the Flames start to graduate some young players. As Agreed. Well. Yep. Because if you're drafting college players or if you're trying to sign undrafted free agents, you want those players who are considering different teams to see that they're going to have a chance to yeah. develop in your organization, but also to play at the NHL level at some point in time. So I think, think sending that message out to the hockey world is going to be important moving forward as well. Willsey, thank you all year. Uh, it's the last roundtable of the year, pal. Great stuff all season long, and uh, we'll do it again starting in September, hey? Sounds good, and I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of opportunities to do some yeah. uh, unofficial Calgary Flames exactly. roundtables uh, during the course of the summer. But uh, thanks to you, thanks to Pike, uh, thanks to Viv Vickers, and thanks to Gilbertson. Uh, it was uh, a blast uh, talking hockey and talking Flames hockey with you guys all season. Thanks, Wills. Thanks, Wills. We'll talk to you soon, man. Okay. Take care, guys. Have a good weekend. Derek Wills, Ryan Pike, Pat Steinberg, Daily Flames Roundtable to wrap up the hour. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Enjoy the race into spring detail package offer for only $299. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary airport.